Father, we'll take your Bible, if you will, this morning, uh, and we are going to go back to the book of Psalms. I know that we just completed our study in the life of David, but before we completely leave uh, David behind, I just couldn't resist but to go back to the book of Psalms, and I think probably one of the greatest chapters, I always hesitate to say something like that because all of the Bible is great. And uh, sometimes it depends on the season of life that we're in, what passages speak to us the loudest. But certainly I believe that the most well-known chapter in all of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm, I want to go back to the 23rd Psalm, which is, of course, a Psalm of David, and uh, just dwell on this 23rd Psalm this morning uh, before we completely abandon uh, our study and finish our study of King David. Not going to be so much about David this morning, as it will be just revisiting this wonderful psalm. You know, when you think about the 23rd Psalm, certainly I believe as a Christian, I believe the 23rd Psalm was divinely inspired by God, like the rest of Scripture, that this is God's holy Word, that God breathed this Word and He gave it to a human being who wrote these words down, and these words are inspired by God. But there are those, many of those, Uh, who do not believe, as I do, that the Bible is divinely inspired, but yet they recognize that this passage of Scripture, what we call the 23rd Psalm, is perhaps one of the greatest passages ever written, just because it is so much truth, so much said in so few words. You know, they say brevity is the soul of wit. And that is often true. Often things that are, are uh, remembered are things that are spoken in a very brief few words. And that is the 23rd Psalm. So I want us to go to the 23rd Psalm. I preached a whole series of messages on the 23rd Psalm. I preached numerous sermons on the 23rd Psalm. But what I want to do this morning is I want us to go and look at the 23rd Psalm. And as you have heard me share with you before, there are seven compound names in the Old Testament that we find where uh, they take the name of God and they place the name of God with another name. And I preached on those seven names of God in the Old Testament several times before. But did you know that you can find these seven names of God, you can pair them up to the 23rd Psalm, to the verses in the 23rd Psalm. So I want you to go to Psalm 23, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want to give you, some of you may not know this, but did you know that the printers of Scripture, when people, especially the King James and the New King James, and there are other translations uh, that also do this, but did you know that there are little ways that the, 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 the printer, the publisher of Scripture, the translator, has placed some clues in your Scripture to try to tell you how they translated Scripture? And did you notice if you've got the King James or the old or the New King James and, and perhaps some others, if you notice the Lord, the word Lord in your Bible, if it's a King James or a New King James, is all caps. L-O-R-D, it's all capital. What that means, that what that clue is telling you, the translators are telling you that that word that they translated English, Lord, is not Lord in Hebrew, it was the special name that the Hebrews had for God's name. And you probably you could preach a whole series on this and whole sermons have been preached on this, but 
And, and, and I can't say with definity because nobody really knows, but the Hebrews regarded God's name as so holy that they had a special word for it, and that word did not have vowels in it. Now, if you know anything about pronunciation, you know you can't say, you can't pronounce anything if it doesn't have a vowel. You know, and so you've heard of Yahweh, or we sang a moment ago, Jehovah, uh, and that is the word that we've kind of used to uh, take that old word that the Hebrews had, uh, Y-H-W-H, some would, would say it was, and uh, some people have put vowels in that and said Yahweh, and some take a pronunciation and say Jehovah or Jehovah, but that word that is in all caps, L-O-R-D, means that was the special word that the Hebrews had for God's name. And they regarded God's name as so holy that they did not want to pronounce or speak that word out loud. You know, one of the Ten Commandments was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What that commandment was teaching us is that God is holy. God is holy. And they, they helped to recognize the holiness of God by having respect for His name. You know, there's been a controversy in recent uh, months or years in our country about the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, and, and uh, we often, when the Pledge of Allegiance is given, what do you do? You stand up, right? You stand up and, and then you, you put your hand over your heart. I mean, that's just a, a, a physical movement of your hand against your heart and it's just a physical movement to stand. But what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're doing that to show respect for your country. You're doing that, doing that to show your patriotism, your allegiance to your nation. And what the ancient Hebrews were doing when they placed God's name in that special word, they were showing that they recognized that God was holy. God was much above and beyond what they could comprehend. And so that L-O-R-D means that that was a special name for God. And then notice is. If you've got the King James or the New King James, it, that word, it's italicized, if you'll notice, in your English copy of Scripture. Now, if you see a word that is italicized in the King James or the New King James, and possibly in some other translations, I'd have to do a little more research on those, but what that italicized word means is that the English translators added that word. There was no word in the original language to translate. But in order to make the sentence read what they felt was proper English, or to make it uh, more understandable, they put that word in there. And when, they, when it's italicized, it's letting you know if you're doing a word-for-word -word translation, is was not in the original. But we put it there because we felt like it better explained exactly what the original intent was, or it read properly in English. So if you were to take that word, the Lord is my shepherd, that we say in English, when David wrote that in the original Hebrew, what he really said is Jehovah Shalom. I'm sorry, Jehovah Rohi. In other words, the Lord, my shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd. God, my shepherd. And, you know, nothing wrong with having is in there. It, it flows. It makes a sentence with the word is. But sometimes I like to take that is out, as it wasn't in the original, and just let those two words, you know, hit you. Let those two words sink in. What David is saying in the very first utterance of this famous psalm, he says, God, my shepherd, 
The Lord is my shepherd. And that is Jehovah Rohi. Now, I mentioned those seven compound names and what we're going to do. Uh, some of you may be familiar with those, but we're going to take the 23rd Psalm. It starts out with one of those compound names. And what that really said was Jehovah Rohi. Rohi meaning shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd. God is my shepherd. Now, we have to understand for that to have any significance to us whatsoever, we have to have a recognition of who God is. And, you know, again, we don't have time to finish this morning and talk about everything that God is, but just for a moment, I, I posted something on my Facebook uh, page this morning. I, I saw in a, in a tweet uh, that uh, there's a, a tweet, a, a Twitter account that takes quotes from C.S. Lewis. Some of you might remember C.S. Lewis. He was a famous Christian in England from the 20th century, the middle of the 20th century, a prolific writer. I'd encourage you to read some of his writings. Just wonderful, um, great intellect he was. And uh, the quote that I posted this morning was a quote from him that says this, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. You have to let that sink in a little bit. Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. When we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, what we're talking about is the creator of heaven and earth. It is beyond my ability to to comprehend. Some folks say, I wish God would prove himself and perform a miracle. My goodness, open your eyes. Open your eyes. You know, you can't see the forest for the trees. He can do a little miracle. And I'm convinced he does them all the time. But there's wonderful, miraculous Things all around us. Look in the mirror. I like to say from the telescope to the microscope. I mean from the atom all the way to the universe, the vastness and the greatness of God is on display. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. You take the stars and, and you know back in those days that all they could see was what they could see. That they didn't have the ability to look beyond what the human eye could see. And even the ancients could look up and say, Boy, God truly must be great. How much more us today? We have telescopes that can tell us about the vastness of space and, and things that the ancients had no way of knowing. And we have microscopes that could look beyond just the little insects and the things that crawl. And we can see microorganisms and the complexity of the cell and, and how life is put together. My goodness, we even go to DNA. I mean, did you know that there's a blueprint? Whoever made a building without a blueprint? I did one time. My wife was not proud of it. <laughs> we first got married. I wanted uh, One of my great accomplishments when we first got married, I wanted a boat. You've heard about different, you know, I'm not going to tell you all those stories, but I found one on sale for $175, a little fiberglass boat, and uh, somebody, it was somebody's junk that they got rid of, but I was proud of it. You know, one man's junk is another man's treasure, so it was my treasure. And I wanted a shelter, so I built me a little shelter. And I was right proud of it. It was pretty square, pretty square. (laughs) You know, I'm judging my own work. But if you're going to build anything of value, you need a blueprint. 
Who builds a building without a blueprint? Well, my goodness, did you know God has a blueprint for you and for I, for you and me? Okay? Every baby that is born, the first thing that happens is the blueprint is laid down. The DNA is laid down and then that blueprint is built upon. My goodness, we're talking about the greatness of God. So David is saying, the Lord, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So we're reminded of the greatness of God. And then notice there in verse number 2. He makes me to lie down. Well, it's actually the latter part of verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That is Jehovah-Rohi. The Lord my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, if you go back to Genesis 22:13, we'll find that compound name of God that is exemplified and shown here in verse number 2. You know the story of Abraham when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and And, of course, this was before the law, before God had given the law to Moses. And Abraham was simply following God by revelation. He didn't have a book to look to. He didn't have a Bible to turn to and find out about God. He only knew God by what God revealed to him. And God revealed to Abraham, he says, sacrifice your son Isaac. It sounds crazy to us, and it uh, certainly was something beyond what we could understand. But remember, what is the Old Testament? It is showing us a... A reality, it is showing us a physical truth, uh, a temporary physical truth of an eternal spiritual truth. And really what Abraham and his climbing up on the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, what that was, was a representation of God going to sacrifice Jesus for our sin. Isaac was a type of Jesus. And you know the story, as he prepares to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord sends an angel and stops him and says, I will provide for myself um, a offering. And, and uh, there in Genesis twenty two thirteen the Bible says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead or in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. That is, Jehovah-Jireh simply means the Lord will provide. And what does Psalm 1 and 2 say? David says, not only is it Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord my shepherd, but I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. As Paul said in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory. And you know, over in Jeremiah 29, when God's people were in a difficult time and he was talking about uh, their exile from their home. He says, when these 70 years are completed, he says, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And then in Matthew 6, 25, you know, Jesus talking about God's provision. Jesus, in that famous passage, He says, Do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. 
For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble." David said, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Jesus said it best when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. No, there there is a wonderful promise from God. That promise is not that you will never suffer. It is not that you will never have pain. It is not that you will never have disappointment. It is not that you will never struggle. But the promise from God is that I will take care of you. You know, I think about the greatest desire that people have. And we're going to talk about this this part of God in a few moments. But really, the greatest need that I have, and I think that everybody here has, is peace. Think about it. Peace. What do I mean by peace? It is a feeling of contentment. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Jesus is not talking about money. He's not talking about God getting you a new Cadillac or Lexus or whatever kind of car you like. He's not talking about you having favor with men and, and, and being successful. Nothing wrong with those things. But I present to you that what God is saying is that I will give you contentment. That greatest gift of mankind. The greatest gift you can have is not to have a large home. Listen, there are people who have large homes and billions of dollars in the bank who are miserable. Who kill themselves. Who are addicted to drugs and every type of substance because they're searching for peace. They're searching for contentment. And I believe what Jesus is saying is if you will seek me. You know, you you heard the story about the dog chasing his tail. You know, I I told that story some time ago about if you try to find happiness, you'll never really find it. You'll wear yourself out trying to find it. You know, the story goes about the young dog and the old dog and the young dog who kept chasing his tail, chasing his tail. You know, he never could catch it. And uh, the old dog came up to him and said, Son, let me tell you something I learned a long time ago. He said, Don't worry about your tail. He said, If you'll just go straight ahead, you'll find it'll follow right behind you. (laughs) 
And that's so true. Most of the time we, we're searching for happiness and we're trying to find happiness. And, and what Jesus is saying, and when the Bible, when David said, I shall not walk, He leads me beside the still waters, uh, He leads me in green pastures, what He's saying is that if I will seek God, remember the Lord told the people, He said, if you will seek Me with all your heart, you will find Me. If I will fasten and turn my eyes upon Jesus and I will seek Him, that happiness I'm looking for, only He can provide. That fulfillment I'm searching for. Other people, other things cannot provide that. Only my Creator can provide that. Only the One who made me can give me that contentment and that peace. So He is Jehovah uh, Rohi, the Lord my shepherd, and He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Now, notice there in the next passage, verse number 3, He restores my soul. You know, over in... Exodus 15, 26, the Lord speaking to the people of Israel when He brought them out of the land of Egypt as slaves. He said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do what is right in His sight and will give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. What did David said? He restores my soul. You know, I was thinking about Solomon this week, the son of David. You know, Solomon should have never been born, right? Think about it. I mean, if everybody would have lived right, if David would have, would have lived a godly life, if David would have obeyed God, if if Bathsheba would have obeyed God, if, if all the people involved in that situation had done what was right, we'd have never heard of Solomon. He should have never been born. He was the child of David and Bathsheba. Remember, their first child died as part of God's judgment. But then later they conceived and, and they had Solomon and, and other children and, and there was Solomon. But yet, what happened? What did God do? God chose this boy who should never have been born if everybody would have behaved properly. He chose Solomon to be the next king. And he even gave Solomon a choice of, of what, what do you want me to do for you? And remember Solomon says, I want to have wisdom to lead your people. And, and that wonderful example of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God told him, he says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And he wrote, of course, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, most of it. And he said, but I'm also, because you didn't ask for riches, you ask for wisdom, I'm also going to throw in riches and I'm going to throw in success and all the other things that God did for Solomon. But the point I want to make, I'm talking about God our healer. Understand that you and I are the product of grace. Solomon is a wonderful example in the Old Testament of grace. Don't ever get the idea that if I just do everything right, God can bless me. Because you know what the fallacy to that is? You're not going to do everything right. You are a human being and you're going to fail. And you know what's going to happen? If you start out with that and then when you fall, you know what's going to happen? You're going to, you're going to just say, I'm, I, I'm just, I, I failed. I, I'm a miserable failure. I'm never going to count to anything. Don't ever forget that God is a God of grace. And I think about David saying, He restores my soul. To be restored, you have to be broken. And I thank God that God is a God who specializes in broken people. 
You're out here today and you think, man, I have so, I have so messed up my life. I've made so many bad choices. I mean, I have, I have so messed my life up. Maybe you have. I won't disagree with you. But good news. You have come to a place where we're talking about the God who restores. The God who heals. Jehovah Rapha. The God who breaks, who, who takes that that is broken and He puts it back together. The Lord who heals. He restores my soul. You know, Jesus, when He stood up in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, He quoted from the Old Testament. Here, you know, this was Jesus' first sermon, if you will. He, he went to the synagogue and, and He'd been doing wonderful things and somebody said, well, let, let's let Him say a word. And, and so as was the custom, He came up and, and He opened up the Scripture and this was the text of His sermon. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He's quoting from Isaiah. or He was reading from Isaiah when he mentioned it. And of course, what got him in trouble was uh, he mentioned that today this is fulfilled. In your ears, he said, I'm the one. The prophet was talking about, I, I have come uh, to heal the brokenhearted. You know, God is a God who specializes in broken people. Jesus went on to say in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, a wonderful invitation. He says, come unto me. He didn't say, come unto me, all you that are perfect. Come unto me, all you that are worthy. Come unto me, all you that have never made a mistake. I'm so glad he didn't say that because, boy, nobody could come. I couldn't come. You couldn't come. But what did he say? He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he mean by that? You know, I've so often used a quote from Adrian Rogers that when God says thou shalt not, He's not a cosmic killjoy trying to keep you from having fun. He's saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And when God says thou shalt, this is what you should do. He's saying, help yourself. When He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like when the Lord spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember when he had that vision? And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and remember what Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the thorns. It's hard for you, Paul, to kick against. The way of the transgressor is hard. It, the way of the transgressor is hard. It is hard to disobey the Lord. You may think it's easy. The devil will tell you it's easy. It may begin as being easy, but it is hard for you to kick against the pricks, as the old King James says. It's hard for you to kick against the thorns. Uh, God was telling Saul, He was telling the Apostle Paul that, listen, come unto me. You're laboring and are heavy laden, but I will give you rest. I love an old song, and I've quoted it uh, many times here before, but an old song called Broken Pieces. Have you failed in life's battle to accomplish your task? Is your heart heavy laden? Do you fear the Lord's command? Do you feel that no one loves you and there's no use to try? Just bring your cares to Jesus. Your soul, He'll satisfy. 
Pick up the broken pieces and bring them to the Lord. Pick up the broken pieces. Trust in His Holy Word. He will put them back together and make your life complete. Just place the broken pieces at the Savior's feet. You may feel that there's no hope. Broken hearts just cannot mend. Though you're torn in many pieces, Christ can make you whole again. Storms of doubt blow all directions, but don't you be afraid. God can make all corrections. He made a body out of clay. Jehovah, my healer, the God who puts broken hearts and broken lives back together. Well, notice not only did David say he restores my soul, but he said he leads me in verse number 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, there's a compound name for God in the Old Testament that has to do with that. It's in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. There the prophet says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. He shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Or in the original, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And David said, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You know, I love the story of John Newton. Most of you can remember John Newton. He wrote a very famous song. Anybody want to tell me the name of the song he wrote? Amazing Grace. That's right. He wrote the song Amazing Grace and he understood. One of the reasons he wrote that song was because he had experienced God's grace. Many of you know his story. He was a, a, a wicked man. Not only was he a slave trader, but uh, he was, well, he called himself a libertine. That's an old English word that uh, we don't use much anymore. But a libertine simply meant a person who has no moral constraints. A person who does... John Newton never heard this song uh, I don't know if it's a song, but he never heard this say, most likely, not our modern way of saying it, but he lived it according to him. If it feels good, do it. Well, here's the song I was thinking about. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Okay? Remember that old country song? Uh, anyway, I'm going to get, get bogged down here. Let's get back, on, get back on the road. But if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, that, that, that song, I like the tune to that song, and I have to kind of get myself back in line. I think, I don't, I don't need to be singing that song. That's not a good song to sing. But the, the idea of that song is, listen, I'm not going to be worried about what's right and wrong. I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. And that was John Newton. On John Newton's tombstone, he had these words written. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. I told you that David was not a perfect man, but he was a good repenter. You remember we talked about that? That was really the one big difference between David and Saul. Both David and Saul failed God miserably and did terrible things. The difference was Saul never truly repented. He would say verbally he was sorry, but he never repented from his heart. David truly repented. And that was the difference. And 
John Newton, it was said when he was an old man, he had kind of lost a lot of his memory and couldn't really preach a sermon anymore, but sometimes they would ask him to get up and say a few words. And uh, They tell us that one of the last things he ever said in church was they asked him to get up and say a few words, and he said this. He said, my memory is gone, but I remember two things. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Jesus is a great Savior. Two things. I tell you, that, that's a great sermon. Remember, the brevity, uh, brevity is the soul of... No. Yeah, brevity is the soul of wit. I can't, that's short, and I can't even remember that. You know, in other words, William, hurry up and finish, and, and people appreciate it. Say what you're going to say and quit, uh, quit messing around. But a wonderful sermon, a short sermon, and that simply is that I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. So Jehovah said, can you the Lord our righteousness to rest? Remember we talked about peace? That's one of the reasons that His yoke is easy and His burden is light because He takes the burden away from you and away from me of trying to perform. Trying to perform. I mean... It's not about performance. It's about trust. It's about faith. We are trusting in Jesus as our righteousness. And He is giving us His righteousness and taking our sin upon Himself. So He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. But quickly, look there in verse number 4. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is he talking about there? He's talking about peace. Well, there's a compound name for God in the Old Testament that indicates that in Judges 6, 24. The Bible says, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Oprah of the Abyssalites. That simply means the Lord my peace. Jehovah Shalom. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's talking about peace. Remember, David didn't say, I'll never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David didn't say, I'll never have any problems. But he said, Yes, even if I do walk through that valley, I will not fear. I have Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. You know, in the Bible, there's really three kinds of peace that the Bible teaches us about. And you really have to go in this order. One of the problems that folks have, they, they get God's peace out of order. They try to get the last part of God's peace before they get the first part of God's peace. The first part of God's peace is peace with God. And the Bible talks about that in Romans 5.1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's Peace, we must have peace with God first. And how does that happen? That means we come to God in repentance and in faith. And through Jesus, we re repent of our sins and we confess our sin and we say yes. And remember, confession simply means you agree with God that I'm a sinner. You know, if you're still out there arguing with God, you're still pleading your case, saying, listen, it wasn't that bad. You know, please understand, I need to give you the reasons why I did that. You, you hadn't repented yet. Repentance means you quit arguing. You quit making your case. And you agree with God, I'm guilty. You plead guilty, I'm guilty. I have sinned. Remember, David was a great repenter. Read Psalm 51, that's exactly what he did. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. David gave no excuse. He simply said, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. So when we repent and we come to God through faith in Jesus, we are promised peace with God. 
That is, our sins are forgiven. And we have peace with God in Romans 5.1. But then in Philippians 4.6, there's another kind of peace. Here, the Apostle Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You have peace with God. You're on the same channel, if you will, with God. You have confessed and you've repented. You say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. You've been given peace with God. And Paul says, you will have the peace of God. Give, you know, Cast your cares upon the Lord. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. And then the last kind of peace is over in John 14, 27, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend back into heaven. He says, peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That is peace from God. Jesus promised to His disciples peace from God. First of all, peace with God. You must repent and yield and be yielded to God. And then you have peace with God. And then you have the peace of God that is promised by the Apostle Paul that you cast your cares upon the Lord and the peace of God will keep your heart. And Jesus gave each believer, each disciple, a promise that I will leave you my peace. So, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And then look there in verse number 5. He says, You prepare a table. I'm sorry, yeah, the latter part of verse number 4. He says, For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, what's that next compound word for God? It's found over in Ezekiel 48, 35, talking about the future city that is coming, the prophet Ezekiel. He's describing that city. He says it was around 18,000 measures, and the name of that city from that day shall be the Lord is there, or actually the transliteration Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. And David is giving us a reason for his peace that he spoke about in verse the first part of verse 4. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is saying God has promised that he will be present with me. Jehovah Shammah. And you know, I love this, this old hymn, Never Alone. I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on, for He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. The world's fierce winds are blowing. Temptations are sharp and keen. But I have a peace in knowing my Savior stands between. He stands to shield me from danger when earthly friends are gone, for He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is present. Hebrews 13, 5. The Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man will do to me. Well, the last compound name is in verse 5. There... David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Over in Exodus chapter 17, uh, in verse 11, 12, and 13, there's the story where the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt and they're fighting with the people of Amalekites. 
And remember the story where uh, Moses is up on the hill and, and he's lifting his arms. And when he lifts his arms, you know, God's people prevail. But when his arms go down, the Amalekites prevail. And, and Joshua and his helpers, they get around Moses and they hold his arms up. You know, and, and the God's people prevail. And at the conclusion of that in, in um, Exodus 17, uh, the Bible says they put a memorial there. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and he called the name of it Jehovah Nissa. Jehovah Nissa, and that means the Lord my banner, as in a battle flag. A battle flag. You know, you've heard me talk about this before. I love history. I love to study history. And, and, and nowadays, there's really not so much as a battle flag. It's not really something that's used. People have radios, and, and they talk with different communication ways, and they're given instructions. But in the old days, when it was simply line of sight, that was the only way to communicate in battle was line of sight and, and what you could hear, then two things were very important on a battlefield. The trumpet to give orders, the bugle or the trumpet to let everyone, because you couldn't shout about battle, but you could blow a trumpet and people could learn what trumpet sound meant, meant charge, meant retreat. And a second thing, and that was the battle flag. People, you know... We see movies, but, and they're often dramatic, but there is some truth to those. You know, you see some guy and he's doing his flag like this. People actually did that. You know, in, in battle, they, they would get somewhere in a high spot and, and uh, you know, th th they would do the flag like this, letting all the people know that's where our people are. That means to rally. You know, you've heard the expression, rally to the flag. Rally around the flag, meaning, you know, you know here's, we haven't surrendered over here. Our national anthem that we stand up for. What is it all about? Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last. The whole song is about a flag, a banner. What did the banner mean when he looked? He was on that British ship and, and he wrote that as the British were bombarding uh, the fort. When he could see all through the night, it was dark, but occasionally a bomb would burst. And he could light, light would, and he said, oh, the flag's still there. They haven't surrendered. The flag is still there. And then when it finally got daylight, that's what he means by the dawn's early light, what did I see but that same striped banner? The star-spangled banner was still there, meaning that we had not surrendered the fort. And that's the idea even in these old and ancient times, they would have a banner of some kind. It might not be a cloth banner. Sometimes it would be a different kind of banner. But they would have a banner that represented their force. And, and the idea that we have is that when we're under assault, when the enemy is attacking us, as a matter of fact, I love the way Isaiah says it. Isaiah um, 59, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard or a banner against Him. God is our banner. He is one who fights on our behalf. The Lord, our banner. Well, our time is up. What does the last verse say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where there's not a compound name there, it's simply God Himself. God Himself. David is saying, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. After I've gone through this life and, 
And God has directed me and He's my righteousness and He's been present with me through the valley of the shadow of death and He's fought my battles for me. When this life is over, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, Revelation says, God Himself shall wipe their tears from their eyes. I love the 23rd Psalm. There is so much truth, so much in those few words. My goodness, you could take the 23rd Psalm and preach on it from a different, from a different perspective from now till, till Jesus comes back. But I pray that today you'll take these seven compound names of God that we can, we can pair up to the 23rd Psalm. They pair up so nicely to the verses in the 23rd Psalm. All that God is in the New Testament, these seven attributes of God. And wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, I pray God will encourage you and strengthen you that you'll have heard this message from the Lord from the 23rd Psalm. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus, as our musicians come and give us a hymn of invitation, you're out there, you're broken. You know, God wants to be your healer. He wants to put you back together. Whatever it is that is broken, you know, bring it to Jesus. Surrender it to Him. Lay it at His feet. As we stand and sing, you hear this morning, you just obey the Lord as we stand.